the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Of all of the religions, of all of the faith systems of the world, only Christianity offers salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. That's Pastor Leighton Sheely. He's the senior pastor at Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. And this is a daily visit we call Study Verse by Verse. I'm Mike Trout. Pastor Leighton is in the book of Colossians, and we're just beginning this study. He's going to start in chapter 1, verse 7, in just a moment. If you'd like to learn more about Church of the Highlands, go to their website at highlands.us. That's Highlands. U.S. And share with us the fact that you listen. You can do that on the church's website or on the ministry website, studyversebyverse.com. And when we put our faith in Christ Jesus, we come and, and we set down our guilt and our sin at, at the cross and, and can live a life pleasing to God because of His guidance and His empowerment by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, who could resist such an invitation, such a gift from God. Who would want it any other way? It can't get any better. Now, there are two words that Christians use, and they use them interchangeably, but actually there is a distinction between the the two words, and the words I'm talking about are grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. You oftentimes hear them and think that they're the same thing, but but grace, uh, God in His grace gives me what I don't deserve. And God, in His mercy, does not give me what I do deserve. Grace, He gives me what I don't deserve. In His mercy, He doesn't give me what I do deserve. God's grace is God's favor shown to undeserving sinners. And the reason the gospel is good news is because of grace, that God is willing to save Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Saving in faith involves the mind, the emotions, and the will. With the mind, we understand the basic tenets of the gospel. And, and with the heart, with the emotions, we respond in terms of... There's something that's got to change here. But it's not complete until we activate the will to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord and commit to Him as Savior and Lord. Just knowing about the gospel is not enough. Just feeling like something's got to change is not enough. We've got to make the commitment. Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord. Paul continues writing, verse 7, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ. On your behalf. And, and so Paul here describes Epaphras as a faithful minister of Christ, that he is trustworthy, that he has heard the gospel perhaps when Paul was in Ephesus for those three years, and he took the gospel home, and, and he and maybe others joined together and formed a, a church. 
And what this is, is an endorsement of Epaphras by the Apostle Paul. He's saying, you can trust this man. Listen to what he says. Trust what he says. If you hear somebody that teaches something contradictory, contrary to what he says, listen to what he says. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. The word learned here in verse 7 is related to the word disciple. It was used by Jesus in Matthew 11 when he said, learn of me or become my disciple. And and it's important for us to recognize here that, that Christians who disciple others, and all of us should, all of us as believers should be mentoring somebody, and we should be mentored by others who are more mature in the faith. But when we disciple others, we've got to be very careful that we don't make them disciples of us or for us, but rather disciples for Christ. False teachers like to make disciples for themselves. But true believers want to make disciples for Christ. Verse 8, And has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Another evidence of their salvation is love for an unsaved person is basically focused on themselves. And the fact that these believers in Colossae loved each other and all the saints was proof that God was doing something amongst them. True Christian love is not some feeling that we manufacture, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Did you notice that the word spirit here is capitalized? And that's indicative of the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. It's the only verse in Colossians that references the Holy Spirit and it's connected with love because love is one of the fruits of the Spirit when He lives within us. Galatians 5 gives us the list of fruit and it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what comes out of our lives when the Holy Spirit lives within us. And you notice that the first on the list is love. Now, I think it's important for us to remember what the Bible's definition of love is because we are inundated with a distorted definition of love in our culture. The biblical definition of love is provided in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And this is the kind of love that we as Christians should have towards each other, being patient and kind, not arrogant, not self-centered, and so forth. This was the kind of love the saints at Colossae had towards each other and all the saints. Verse 9, And so from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You notice that Paul's prayers center on spiritual blessings more so than physical matters or material matters. It's not wrong to pray about physical and and material matters. It's not wrong to pray, Lord, help me get well, or help that person get well, or help that marriage, or whatever the situation. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
Here, Paul prays that the Colossians would know the will of God and walk in a manner worthy of him. Because these are the really important issues and the issues of eternity. You notice that this prayer has two dimensions. It's to know and to do. To know and to do. That they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that they should walk, do, walk in a manner worthy of and pleasing to the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So knowledge is not merely to be accumulated. We don't come to the church Sunday after Sunday to accumulate knowledge about what the Bible says. But it should give us direction in our living and our actions, that we should use that knowledge in Christ's service, helping others. Now, in the language of the New Testament, to be filled with means to be controlled by. To be filled with means to be controlled by. So if we are filled with anger, we are controlled by anger. To be filled with the Spirit means we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. Paul's prayer here is that they might be controlled by the full knowledge of God's will. The knowledge of God's will is an awareness of what God desires us to do in any given situation. Now, the false teachers at that time said that God's will is unknowable, and Paul is saying, yes, it is knowable. He says that he wants us to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding is measured by God in our practical obedience. It refers to our discretion and our discernment, that we discern what God really wants us to do or really wants us to say or not say in a given situation. And the reason that God gives us His will, has made it known to us, is so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, living fully pleasing to Him. So His next petition is that we might be pleasing, that the Colossians might be pleasing to the Lord, that their lifestyle might be worthy of the calling of being God's children and God's holy people, that they might be Christ-like. You know, how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, the answer is we look to Christ, who is our model. He is our example. In John 5.30, Jesus said, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. And so what Jesus taught us is that we shouldn't be seeking our own desires, but God's desire. And that's underscored again in Romans 12 when Paul writes, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable and pleasing to God. What he's saying is is put God's agenda first. Please God first. The psalmist wrote, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. What we think ends up being what we say. And what we say ends up being what we do. Now God has revealed his general will for all of us in the Bible. And any specific will for a specific situation will always be in alignment with the general will He has already revealed to us. So the better we know God's general will, God's Word, the easier it's going to be, the quicker it's going to be, the more accurately it's going to be for us to discern what God wants us to do in a specific situation. We take the principles of God's general will and apply them to our specific situation. And and what Paul here is telling the Colossians, don't wait for visions and voices. You know how some people are. He says, get into God's Word. Know God's Word. And he prays that they might have 
all wisdom. Now, all wisdom doesn't mean knowing everything. But what he's talking about is all the wisdom is needed in any given situation so you can do what is right and pleasing before the Lord. And then he spells out precisely or more precisely what's involved in living a life worthy of the Lord. He says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. God saved us so that we could bear fruit. Jesus made that very, very clear in John chapter 15. Christ is the vine and we are the branches. We can't produce any fruit unless we're attached to the vine. But when we are obedient, when we're attached to the vine, then the life in the vine comes through the branches and produces fruit. We have been called to produce fruit. Someone has done the research and uncovered the fact that there are at least 14 verses in the New Testament dealing with the subject of fruit and those of us who are believers producing good fruit. James, of course, talks about that as an evidence of the change in our life. We're going to hear more about this when we come back with the next edition of Study Verse by Verse. I'm sharing with you part two of a three-part series from a message by Pastor Leighton Sheely of Church of the Highlands on the book of Colossians. And we'll be back with the rest of the message on Monday. In the meantime, I hope you have a great weekend and can join us on Monday when Pastor Layton will once more open the Word of God and help us study verse by verse.